We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we're here to preview the Giants week three game against the San Francisco 49ers. As that spread continues to grow, Nick, I think it's over 10 points at 10 and a half points. Niners favored by the Niners would have won last week's game by 10 against the Rams. But weirdly, Sean McVay kicked a field goal and that cost me $400. So I'm not really happy with that, but it happened and I had to deal with it. Obviously, seven point spread, seven and a half some places, but the point being, San Francisco has proven they can win these games by a lot of points. So I understand the spread right now. Short week for the Giants. But before we get into any preview of the game, we want to discuss that and go back over what we discussed in the film breakdowns on offense and defense and maybe give us an idea. I wanted to run down the injury report real quick with you, Nick. And we are working off of Tuesday's injury report because we were recording this midday Wednesday. The report has not been released yet. But on Tuesday's injury report, we got some news. The first news being... One, Ben Bredesen, the Giants' starting first-team left guard, is not expected to play in this game with a concussion, according to Brian Dable. That's disappointing one to hear, Nick. I think we both agree from the tape that we saw from Bredesen before his injury, he looked pretty good out there. I would say it was either him or John Michael Schmitz is the most consistent offensive lineman on the field for the Giants in Week 2. So this is a tough loss. They're likely going to probably put Glowinski there again at left guard, I assume. This is also assuming Andrew Thomas will not play. As far as Thomas goes, he was limited in practice with a hamstring injury. My guess is they're not going to rush him back for Thursday night, which means we'll probably see Azudu at left tackle. If Thomas is back, I think that's when things get interesting as far as will Azudu play left guard or will Mark Lewinsky play left guard with Bredesen out with a concussion for as long as that has to be. Let's start there, Nick, before we get into some other injuries. What are your thoughts on the developing offensive line situation with Bredesen expected out? And let's just say for this right now, Thomas questionable. Let's say Thomas is in. I think you move Azudu to left guard if you're comfortable with him in that position because he has shown throughout his college career, Dan, I can play left tackle and then the next play play left guard. So that's where I lean. I don't want Mark Lewinsky out there against Javon Kinlaw, who's the least of my worries. It's more so <laughs> Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa, who could be slanting inside or twisting inside. So I don't really want to see Glowinski start if I can avoid it, which also is problematic because I don't really want to see this offensive line against that defensive front to begin with without Andrew yeah. Thomas. 
So it's not a great situation to find yourself in, but hey, you got to play with the cards that you're dealt. That's what a gambler would say, I would imagine. And the Giants are going to have to do that. So I would choose Azudu over over Glowinski. But either way, it's it's not excellent. Yeah, you would imagine there, Nick. You would imagine would, one day maybe. I, I always said you could you could be a good poker player. You have a good poker face, but I have a good poker face. Yeah, I could just sit there and be stoic and just you right. Know, can't even get a read on me. But I played poker once with friends in high school. And I was bored by like the second hand. I was like, wait, oh, we have to God. do this multiple times. Oh, yeah, like, I forgot attention. about that. You'd actually be a terrible poker player because poker requires an insane level of patience. And you are not the most patient person I've ever met in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> but yeah, you would actually be a horrible poker player based on that. But strategy wise and other reasons, I think you could be good. But whatever. Thanks. Let's move past that. I think I would agree that the best option if Andrew Thomas is back would be a Zudu at left guard, not Mark Lewinsky. At this point, Nick. I get it. It was against bad competition, the Cardinals. And I think the one thing we have to focus on is like Cardinals had a lot of injuries in that game too. They didn't have Buda Baker. So they had new face in the secondary. And also like the defensive line I read somewhere was like starting like practice squad type guys by the end of that game, no depth. And maybe that played a factor in why the Giants offense was able to take advantage of them in the second half. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I hope it's more so just Daniel Jones seeing firing and us figuring things out on offense. But point being, you can't go look at that film from Marcus McEthan and be like, we can't play him again, or we can do something different here. You have to look at that tape and be like, that was good enough to get another shot at it. So I feel like Marcus McEthan should have that right guards job for this week, at least. And we'll see if he continue to, you know, keep it up against a much more tough, difficult matchup against the 49ers front, but he deserves to have another shot at it. You can't like, if Thomas comes back, you can't go a Zudu left guard, Glowinski right guard, or a Zudu right guard, Glowinski left guard. Like McEthan has to get his opportunity. I agree. And if you also just look at the personnel of the San Francisco 49ers up, up front, dude, Eric Armstead is like six foot eight with ridiculously yeah. long arms. Javon Kinlaw, a little bit of a he's not the he's not the best player, but he's still massively long and a very violent type of mover. And then Javon Hargrave, who we haven't even mentioned yet, as we know dominated the Giants offensive line three times last year as a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's there now, too. So for me, I don't want Glowinski out there because I don't think you can do a lot of five-step drops with any sort of confidence if you have him out there. At least McKethan is 345 freaking pounds, and he can hold up and anchor down a little bit better than a player like Glowinski. So that's where I'm at in terms of both of the former UNC guards relative to what the hell we're going to do with Glowinski. Now Glowinski is just going to be that swing interior offensive lineman if it happens like this. And the Giants can't get rid of him because I think it's like a $12 million cap hit or something. Next season, right. though, I think it's pretty damn cheap, and you could be certain that the Giants are going to look in another direction at that point. I'm actually curious about that, Nick, so I want to look that up real quick just to see what the situation is next year with Mark Lewinsky and the Giants. I'm going to get you that information right now. Next offseason, the Giants can release him, and they would just have a $1.5 million dead cap hit. And if they don't release him, he would count $7.2 million against the cap at 33 years old. So I think yeah. it's pretty obvious the Giants will be moving on from Mark Lewinsky at the end of the season. Uh, obviously, it's a contract that probably didn't work out the way they wanted to, but I think that's going to happen a lot when you swing on, at offensive line of agency. Like, this is the thing. People just, like, get so mad about these offensive line signings from the GMs. And, like, I have done it in the past with Nate Solder, for sure, um, and Patrick Omame. But, like, you have to take a step back. And Solder's a little different, too, because that was a massive contract. The Lewinsky one and the Omame one, 
those aren't as much, those contracts weren't as big. And Glinsky's at least playing snaps for them and came in and played left guard. Like Omame was out of the NFL after Good Gettleman saw something on film that he loved, right? So that's a different scenario in my mind. But you have to just understand, like, the state of the offensive line play around the NFL is unbelievably bad right now. Like, we talk a lot about how hard it is to find quarterback and why, you know, you can, and why we were big believers and you couldn't even consider letting Daniel Jones walk this offseason. I know some fans were like, ah, oh, Jones, he's still not the guy. He's still not the good. Why resign him? Just let him walk. Like, we'll just figure it out. But, like, no, you can't just figure it out. Like, what are you going to do? Put, like, like overdraft Will Levis in round one? Like, that's not what you want to do either there. So, yeah, like, there were no real options there. Same goes for O-line. It's like, we have to, if we can apply that to quarterback, then we should be able to apply that to offensive line and send and not really bash, in my opinion, Joe Shane for the Glowinski signing. He's taking a swing. He's hoping he hits, knowing the hit rate is very low on these free agent signings at offensive line. If you're good on offensive line, you don't hit free agency for the most part. Uh, obviously, there's exceptions, Brandon Sheriff and players like that. But yeah, the Glowinski thing, this is probably the last year for him. But I think ultimately, Nick, when everyone's healthy, Glinski will be on the bench moving forward with McKethan at right guard and hopefully Josh Azudu or Ben Bredesen at left guard. That's the best case scenario coming out of that 2022 draft. Giants did go to the playoffs and he was a reason why. It was a starting guard yeah. on the right side and he had some huge run blocks that helped the Giants defeat the Tennessee Titans. I don't think the Tennessee Titan game goes the way it did without Mark Lewinsky because of some of those blocks from the backside. It's just pass protection down the stretch. Sucked, sucked against Dallas. I agree, he should be riding pine. And I think he had some good run blocks in, out like later in the season too, in the Vikings game and the playoff game and things of that nature. Like the run game is fine for Glowinski. It's just the pass game is is a really it's a tough spot for Mark Glowinski at this point in his career. Obviously, he's thirty three too, so that's that's a, that's a factor there. But as we look forward to this game, Nick, I think given the injury situation, we're most likely going to get a Zudu again at left tackle. We'll see if I'm wrong about that. McCathin right guard, and then Glowinski at left guard. So just be prepared to see that. Other injuries of note. Wandale Robinson, you know, still kind of recovering, I guess, with the ACL. I don't know really know where they're at with him. He was a limited participant. I wonder if this will be his debut, Nick, but my guess is he won't debut until week four. Uh, Micah McFadden is dealing with a neck injury. Dable said McFadden should be ready to go. I would say Aziz and Thomas are kind of in the Saquon Barkley deal. We'll take that right up all the way to Thursday. And then Ben, I don't think we'll pass the protocol in the short amount of time. So he's leaning more towards out. Now let's get back to this Aziz and Saquon here. So let's start with Saquon Barkley, who originally was reported to have a moderate, I guess it's considered low ankle sprain. Um, that was expected to keep him out for three weeks. Brian Dable said, look, Saquon Barkley is a, short, uh, a fast healer. This is the type of athlete that he is. I can't rule him out yet for Thursday. I'm going to take this one all the way up to game time. I think we're both of the belief, Nick, that he won't play this Thursday, almost no matter what Dable says to us right now. But I will say this. When Saquon Barkley had a high ankle sprain earlier in his career, he came back in four weeks from that. And high ankle sprains are supposed to keep you out six to eight weeks. So there is evidence to suggest he is a fast healer. Now, coming back in one week from a three-week injury or for in, in six, four days because they played on Sunday, that seems highly unlikely. But I'm starting to get the feeling we might have a shot at seeing him in week four or almost like not at worst, but like at likeliest week five. I don't think that's unreasonable. Week five seems like the date to to circle. None of us are doctors here, but the whole Thursday game thing, it's I'm ruling that yeah. out for all intents and purposes. That's just him trying to get a competitive advantage. Like you might need well, to prepare for 26. Let's see what the backups can do. Rotation with Matt Breida. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And I and I'll say this. Let's talk a little bit. We can talk a little bit about this. We'll jump all around. But the actual for the actual matchup for Thursday night. 
What are your expectations for the Giants backfield here? I'll give you my prediction first, Nick, and we can walk off work off of that. I look back at last season, the games Barkley missed, or I think it was a game. How many, how many games that Barkley missed last year? Was it, was it, uh, I don't know if he missed a full game. I'm trying to find this now. I was looking at this earlier. I don't think but he, he missed, missed some full time. Game. Only week he didn't miss a full game, but he missed some. It was, time. it was that Philly game. The Philly game, he was dinged okay, up. Maybe and the Giants facing it off down. Yeah. yeah. Actually, maybe surprisingly to some fans, Gary Brightwell played a much bigger role than people realized in that spot. And it wasn't just all Brita or it wasn't just mostly Brita. I think my expectation for this game, Nick, is that Brightwell's going to play a bigger role than people factor in right now. I think they just trust having him out there in certain situations over Brita. And they obviously trust having Brita out there in certain situations over Brightwell. But my expectation is probably a split from I'm going to go snap share prediction and then a touch prediction, Nick. I'll go snap share prediction among running backs. Hmm. I'm going to go. 50, 40, 10, 50% Brita, 40% Brightwell, 10% Eric Gray among running backs. And I'm going to go from a touches standpoint, pretty even between Brita and Brightwell. And I think Gray is going to get two to four touches in this game. That's kind of my prediction for this. I think Gray will play a factor though, right away in this first game without Barkley. I think it's going to be 40, 40, 20. I think okay. Brightwell and Brita might split. And I think you're spot on with Brita. Remember, this guy missed all of training camp. We were like, guys, ah, probably cut. And then he made the team and we're like, I oh, made the team probably just because of special teams, which special teams do influence it. They like him as a running back. They even used him in this T formation. They went all through training right. camp practicing that T formation. They didn't show it to anybody when the beat in the media was there. Uh -huh. And then who did they input right next to Daniel Bellinger? Wasn't Brita wasn't Eric Gray, and Eric Gray right. might be able to fit that from a build standpoint, at least. It was Gary Brightwell. So Gary Brightwell's going to have a role. That's why I didn't, man, fantasy-wise, I didn't spend any fab on Matt Breida. I wasn't going out running to the wire to pick up Matt Breida. And the San Francisco 49ers are also a team that, I don't think they've surrendered a 100-yard rushing game on the ground in years, I think it's been. You can't run. They're on just shutting team, people no. down. Yeah, you can't run on this team, and I don't think the Giants are going to – this is the interesting part about the matchup, though. It's like you can't run on this team, but the Giants can't go one-dimensional in this. They're going to really pay for that if they do with the state of the offensive line as it currently stands against that defensive front. So it's really hard for me to find too many solutions in the in the on offense right now, if I'm being completely honest with this game, outside of just Daniel Jones going hero mode. And that's kind of, I think, what the Giants need to have any chance to win this game, just a hero type of performance from Daniel Jones, uh, like we saw in the second half of the last game. It's only the it's basically the only way I can see them winning this game. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, Nick, and we'll get to predictions later. But based on what you said, it just feels tough. But I will say this. I'm excited to see Eric Gray out there because and I think he will play some snaps because all I've seen from him until this point is his college tape, which we really liked and thought was really impressive. And then his preseason tape, which was behind a really bad offensive line. Guys who aren't playing in the NFL won't be playing for the Giants now, won't be playing this year, won't, weren't playing last year. And that, that means almost nothing to me, to be honest with you. It's like, did he read his run keys right? And did he make plays? No, but was he basically contact in the backfield on almost every preseason snap? It felt like the answer was like close to yes. So, and that's not every snap, but most snaps. So now I get to see him with scheme, with Kafka design, Kafka and Dable designing plays that could hopefully create some holes for him. We'll see. Like you said, it's a tough matchup, but I am excited to see Eric Gray out there. He's one of the players I'm most excited to see this week, and I'm just curious to see if he gets, a, if if he's able to look more like his college tape than he was in the preseason. He didn't look like it in the preseason. He didn't seem all that explosive yeah. to me in the preseason. And one of our biggest knocks on Eric Gray, and I think one reason why he fell to the fifth round, 
was because he ran like a four six two or something. I guess forty was in yep. the four sixes. It wasn't all that impressive. But what we love about Eric Gray is his ability to make players miss in a phone booth. He's very slippery. He's very agile. He has a sick one cut move, a sick juke move, and he can juke these defenders out of their shoes. It's going to be a little bit difficult doing that against the second level defenders of the San Francisco 49ers because we talk a lot about Fred Warner rightfully so but you also have Dre Greenlaw who if he wasn't on the San Francisco 49ers we would be discussing as possibly one of the best linebackers in the league it's just that he's playing next to Fred Warner so we don't really hear his name as much and then Hufunga the safety insanely talented insanely aggressive flies around the field I love how Tomiko Ryan's really used this personnel from the little film I watch now Steve Wilkes it hasn't lived up to what D'Amico Ryans did. I'm basing that off of the Rams game in week two. In week one, they shut down the Pittsburgh Steelers, shut down Kenny Pickett. Take that for what it's worth. Matt Stafford was able to establish a rhythm. It was a quick passing attack. Rams scored on their first three possessions. And the Rams might've won that football game, Dan, if it wasn't for a dumb interception that bounced off the head of Van Jefferson. They were in field goal range at that point. The game could have went differently. And I think that was in the third quarter. And then there was another interception and man coverage. Just a really sick play by the cornerback. When I'm looking at this team, if you want to slow down that pass rush, you could run the football. You could run play action boot. You could try to create an explosive play Mm -hmm. with Jalen Hyatt off of that. It's a little bit risky when, when you're doing that, or you can attempt to throw through the zone. Steve Wilkes is a zone coordinator, runs a lot of cover three, run some quarters. That's what Matt Stafford did. A lot of that is outside the numbers, though. That's where Matt Stafford turned, to the right of the offensive formation, outside the numbers. Had a lot of success doing that, if you look at the heat chart. Can Daniel Jones do that? A lot of what the Giants have success with is throwing inside the numbers, inside breaking routes, where you have Hufanga, Fred Warner, and Dre Greenlaw roaming. So I think that chess match, and if the Giants can get outside without just moving the pocket, which they're going to do, without just using Daniel Jones's legs, if they can throw outside without doing that, maybe the Giants can matriculate the football down the field. Yeah, it's a great point by you because I look at last week when the passing offense really broke out. One of the big plays came outside the numbers, the one to Jalen Hyatt. That was a really nice throw by Jones and a really good play by the, by the Giants. A couple of the other plays were close to, to being like considered outside the numbers, I think. The Darius Slayton uh, timing route on the comeback. I feel like that's close to outside the numbers and yeah, Darius no, Lane 29 yeah. yarder also basically outside the numbers and the, at least less of middle of the field type stuff than we've been used to with Daniel Jones and his passing offense. And I think you make a great point. Like when you have Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw in there, it is not like, this is not a game. I expect Darren Waller to have a great game in the first part. I mean, statistically box score wise, I think it might look good at the end because I think there could be some garbage time, which we'll get to later in prize picks, but First half, I don't expect Darren Waller to have that good of a game because you have Fred Warner, the alien inside linebacker, the only guy who can cover the slot and run the seam like that, like a a legit safety back there, but also play the run the way he plays the run. And that's just a difficult spot for the – like Fred Warner, what a pick by the 49ers. Just insanely good pick by them. He's really been a franchise maker for them on the defense side of the ball. But it's going to make that – matchup for Waller, I think, more difficult. I think this is really a spot where Jalen Hyatt is the type of player and Darius Slayton are the type of players that could really make a difference for the Giants in this game. I agree. I also think the Giants are going to use Darren Waller more towards the outside. Flat routes from the number three. Things like that. Try to get him matched up against those smaller cornerbacks that are on the outside. Again, if they're going to run quarters and cover three, you can attack the flat against quarters and cover three. There's not a lot of room over there. It's just when you have a defense like the 49ers, you can rally and you can tackle. So you need to make some guys miss. Like I said on the previous show, 
Jalen Hyatt had one route that wasn't vertical, and it was a flat with two blockers up front. Giants didn't complete the pass to Jalen Hyatt, that is. Now, do they go back to that well and just try to get Jalen Hyatt the football near the line of scrimmage and then make some guys miss? Maybe. Have to find a way to move the football, Dan. And this is a truncated schedule, so there might not be too much creativity in terms of seeing new shit against what San Francisco does, unless the Giants, which I know a lot of coaching staffs do, were planning against San Francisco at the end of last week. And maybe that would lead us to one reason why they struggled early against Arizona. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, we both believe, I think, I haven't gotten to your take yet on the other side of the ball. We'll get to that a little bit later, and we'll see where you're at there. But I think we both believe the way to win this game is by hero ball from Daniel Jones, essentially. And I don't really prescribe subscribe to him playing you know, hero ball most of the time, but this is the type of game where he kind of needs to, in my mind. It has to be like an Eli-esque NFC Championship game against the 49ers, their performance, in my opinion, where nothing's really working but the quarterback play. Um, just how I see it, 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 given the matchup. But I'll say this as far as what you just what you just described and trying to beat this defense. I think it's interesting and I haven't watched a lot of tape on it, but I think it's interesting to say that there has been a change going from D'Amico Ryan to Steve Wilkes on the defensive side of the ball. And there could be based on that, some opportunities like we've seen the giants on the flip side of the ball give up where there's just communication issues, new faces in a scheme that aren't used to playing within the scheme. And you can kind of do different things. I mean, there were so many natural picks that were created against the giants defense last week. I'm wondering if there are opportunities there for the Giants to maybe strike in that way, like find something on tape that they can take advantage of because this defense is still kind of trying to acclimate themselves to a new coordinator and a new scheme. I know it's similar, but just something, just different ways for them to potentially take advantage of that. And also, Nick, I wonder in your mind if like a lot of the big plays the Giants had in the passing game and that comeback were, you know, 12 personnel sell it like a run play action, flip your head around if you're Daniel Jones and rip the ball out into space is that something the Giants can sell this week without Barkley on the field? Like, what are your thoughts on that? They could sell it. I just don't know if there's going to be someone there to buy it. And that's going to be the it, issue. Yeah. And I just can't imagine that a Kyle Shanahan coach team, even though he's more of an offensive coach, he's going to see 13 take the field and just be like, oh, yeah, let's, let's just keep the one defender on him who has outside leverage. Like, the Cardinals were playing the cross. They were focused on Darren Waller. They were exploited for doing so. I don't think the 49ers are making that mistake. So mm -hmm. what is that going to do? That's going to open up that cross. But you have Greenlaw and you have Warner and you have Hufanga there as well that you're going to have to worry about. So maybe you can work the outsides, get outside the numbers, like we're saying, outside the hashes, quick passing attack out there. Or if they're playing too deep safety and they're playing cover four and they're playing quarters and they're really respecting Jalen Hyatt, like we saw Arizona do after they were burned by him, maybe you can run the football. And I know you don't have Saquon Barkley, but if you can dictate anything up front, and you can get anything on the ground, maybe they'll take that. I think Daniel Jones's legs are also going to be involved in this game. I think you have to have Daniel Jones's legs, especially without Saquon Barkley. So I'm expecting a quick passing attack to set up those deep shots. And once those deep shots, if they are completed, if they're not respected, I think the Giants will continue to take those deep shots. It's just how much or how long can you protect Daniel Jones without Andrew Thomas and with this offensive line? I think, again, the Giants, I think the, the deck is stacked against them here. This is a tough spot for them. And this is the home opener too for San Francisco. Maybe you'd oh, be like, yeah. oh, well, they've been on the road the last two games. It's like, yeah, but they were in Pittsburgh. I get that. It's far travel. They were in Los Angeles. It's not far. It's in the same damn state. Unfortunate for the Giants, but hey, you got to you gotta play the schedule. And I'm also glad that the Giants, since they're already dinged up and all of these injuries are compiling against them, they get this mm -hmm. little mini bye week after this game. There's something good to be yeah, taken out of that. Yeah, that's going to lead 
you're right, because the Giants don't play again until Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks, a game which I will be in attendance at. If anyone wants to shout me out and meet, meet up beforehand, I'd love to. But that'll be a big game for the Giants. We'll see what happens on that one. But I also think that that gives Saquon Barkley a little bit more time to heal, which is interesting. You brought up something before we move to the defense side of the ball. You brought up something that I thought was interesting. Is this the game we see more design quarterback runs for Daniel Jones as the Giants look to generate offense without Saquon Barkley and obviously in a tough matchup? What are your thoughts on that? Is that going to be difficult to do with new faces on the offensive line, not having a mover at right guard with McKethan in there, things of that nature? What are your thoughts uh, across the board there? Use the zone read and attempt to Mm -hmm. take advantage of undisciplined edges like the Giants did on the touchdown run with Zayvon Collins, who bit too far inside. But I don't know about those designed quarterback runs. A lot of those designed quarterback runs, there's quarterback power. You're pulling linemen yes. from the other side to the play side. This is an even front team who like to align the end man on the line of scrimmage outside of the tackles in a five technique or even off of that. It's going to be hard to block that player who is outside of the tackle. You're not going to be able to block him down to pin him and then force a linebacker to scrape over the top. They can try some maybe quarterback A-gap power, which we've seen. We've seen bash which is the back goes away. Daniel Jones goes into the mesh point. The running back runs in front of him, and then Daniel Jones either hands the football off. Most of the time, he just follows blockers that are to the play side of where the running back is going into a hole, into the interior. But you have Eric Armstead in the interior. You have John Hargrave in the interior. So you got some real beef up front. It's going to be difficult. I think the Giants will attempt it. It's not really the best. I'm just looking for different ways they can generate offense, but you're right. It is not the best actual matchup for that. I just think they're going to find have to find ways to get creative without Barkley in there in this matchup. And we'll see what they decide to do in that regard. Let's flip to the other side of the ball, Nick, here. The Giants defense, after putting together the film they just put together against the 49ers offense. All right, so here's where I start with this one, Nick. The first and foremost thing I want to see in this game is the Giants dictating on defense. And that means blitzing a lot more often than they did against Josh Dobbs. Blitz Brock Purdy. I'll, the issue is this. I get it. Kyle Shannon's a great coordinator uh, coach. He's has a good connection with Brock Purdy already from their limited time and work together. Brock Purdy's a cerebral quarterback. The hots could be there. They could be getting burned by these decisions to kind of bring extra heat and blitz Brock Purdy. But I will say this. If you look at the 49ers over the first two games, and you backtrack it, Nick, to last season with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Brock Purdy's best plays have been in that 10 to 15 yard throwing range but over the top his ball placement has been off he missed an open touchdown to Debo Samuel last week and he struggled to get the ball over the top on a consistent basis and I think that checks out with his arm talent not really being all pro level obviously if it was he wouldn't fall to the seventh round he's a cerebral quarterback with a million starts under his belt so I really think the Giants have to play this one even more aggressively than they played against Josh Dobbs to have any chance in this one. Really pr- a lot of press, a lot of press men, a lot of jam, you know, six, seven guys up at the line of scrimmage and take yeah. the chance. Like, will you get burned with this? Maybe. Shanahan has hot read. Like, it's possible. But it's also possible you get picked apart if you just don't play this way against this style of offense. And if you bring all those guys in the line of scrimmage, it might help you in the run game, which is going to be a really difficult task for the Giants to stop this run game in this game. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like we should see a more aggressive game plan against the 49ers than we did against Arizona? Absolutely. I mean, if pressure breaks pipes, this is the pipe that you got to break because this offense has so much explosive firepower. How are you going to account for all of it? Arizona Cardinals just tore you up on the ground with James Conner and Josh Dobbs was throwing dimes outside the numbers and sale routes and with the seven to the tight end. Now you're going up against George Kittle. You got to find a way to get Brock Purdy out of rhythm. They could just rely on the run. They run a lot of outside zone, but they can run yeah. counter. They can run power gap, the diversified rushing approach. 
that Kyle Shanahan employs is one of the best in the league. He's one of the best offensive minds. And I expect Christian McCaffrey to have a big game against the Giants. I think these linebackers, we need to see more from Bobby Okereke. And we have to see more from whoever's playing next to Bobby Okereke, whether that is Micah McFadden, Isaiah Simmons, or whoever. In terms of defensive approach, philosophy, I'm right there with you. I think you got to put seven guys up in the line of scrimmage. You got to run blitz. You have to force those cornerbacks into spots that are a little bit dangerous, but make Brock Purdy complete that pass. He missed on two deep throws. Like you said, the one to Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. And I think he had another one uh, up the seam that could have went for the touchdown. The Debo is- one is the one that I remember. I didn't. I don't know if I saw the Ayuk one. Oh, the Ayuk one was at the top of the screen. If you're watching the All 22, and he just beat the guy off the line of scrimmage. Purdy missed him. And Purdy's a good quarterback. He can throw with anticipation, touch, all of those things. Keep his offense in rhythm. That's why Kyle Shanahan loves him so much. Deep accuracy is a little bit of a question. So you can be a little bit more risky to facilitate that clock and maybe make him uncomfortable for the quick passing game. Get him out of rhythm by hitting him. And that's something the Giants haven't done all season. They're just not hitting quarterbacks. But first, you got to stop the damn run. And I have questions if, if that's even possible at this point. And that's fair. I mean, I have those same questions too, especially against this team. Cause it's like, yes, they love to run outside zone. It's the basis of their run scheme, but we also have seen so many great film breakdowns of Kyle Shanahan mixing, bringing, you know, bringing out, you know, dipping into his bag and bringing different things out in game from a run standpoint. And you got to know that he's seen the tape of the giants trying to defend counter. And he's going to bring that out at times in this game. And I have a lot of concerns about when he does decide to bring that out and what the Giants can even do to try to stop that. Because, yes, they adjusted well, as you broke down yesterday in the defensive game film breakdown of the Cardinals game toward the end of that game, but that was allocating a shit ton of resources to stopping it because it was killing you. You do that, he'll find another way to beat you if you if you start to you know over overcompensate. And this is also going to be a different offensive approach from the sense that they're going to use True. 21 personnel so much. They use 21 personnel, I think, more than 11 personnel. Because Kyle Juszczyk, now they can use him as a tight end, H-back. They use him all over the place. But they can go in like traditional eye formation and hand the football off. Giants suck that guarding counter from a normal GH standpoint where it's just the backside guard of that H-back. Something they saw all throughout last season. Now they're going to have counter from weak, counter from strong, where Juszczyk is going to do the kick out on the end man on the line of scrimmage. And the guard might wrap and be the lead block. They could just get very creative. It's a different read key for the Giants linebackers. And the Giants linebackers haven't done anything yet to tell me that they're going to be on top of that. And they're going to communicate that. And they're going to know where to be. So that's kind of my issue with defending the counter against a team that isn't necessarily known for running counter. But they can do it from a shit ton of different formations because they're that creative and they have the personnel to yeah. do it. You're right. You're right about that. Um, we'll have to see how that goes. I'm curious to see how the matchups play out, too, with this 49ers wide receivers. To give you a little insight into their situation, Brandon Ayuk is going to be a game-time decision. Uh, he may or may not play. If Ayuk plays, I'm curious how the Giants have tra- decide to offend, defend him. Uh, in my opinion, he's their best wide receiver. I know Debo Samuel's on that roster. Debo Samuel, you can argue, he's a better playmaker. I would take Ayuk over Samuel any day, personally, from the film I've watched of both of those players. I think Ayuk is, in my mind, the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. His release packages, his ability to go up and grab the ball, his vertical ability as well. He, To me, he's the complete receiver. I don't think we'll ever see it in that offense in San Francisco, but if he was on a different team with an all-pro quarterback, I think he would look unbelievable in the NFL. People would know his name with the best of the best receivers. So I'm curious to see how they decide to match up against those two and what type of resources the Giants allocate to defend a player like Debo Samuel as well, who can beat you in so many different ways uh, and at all three levels of the field. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, The show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts will be more successful if they work together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company, 
and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash Blue Wire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the GameTime app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the GameTime app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Who's guarding George Kittle when the Giants are in that, number it's, one? It's total. I have no faith at all. And any, no matter what you say here, Nick, I don't have faith. Because does that dictate who is going to take Debo Samuel? Because who's going to take Debo Samuel? It's probably just going to be the cornerbacks and then Adoree Jackson, wherever they decide to align Debo. They're going to be in split-back mm-hmm. shotgun. Debo's going to be fasting to the three-receiver side. They're going to be doing creative shit with Christian McCaffrey. So I heard a stat. Who, who was it? It might have been actually a CBS Fantasy podcast that the New York Giants haven't allowed more than 30 receiving yards to any running back since week one of last year. And I was like, huh. And I started thinking about it. And I was like, I guess they haven't. I think that's about to change, though, because Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. I don't trust either of the linebackers. Isaiah Simmons is the one player where I'm like, you can use him and he might be able to cover any of these players that we've been going over. And it's like, that's excellent. Well, why isn't he out there? It's like, well, he has run issues. And honestly, I don't Mm -hmm. really trust him that much in coverage in terms of understanding where he has to be and in zone coverage, knowing that routes are coming behind him. It's just, he's a fantastic athlete, a much better athlete than a Bobby O'Karake or a Micah McFadden. 
but it doesn't inspire hope either because of all those other issues. It's just what is going to optimize your personnel against all of the firepower and the explosiveness of the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm, I'm guessing Isaiah Simmons is going to have to play more than just whatever 13 snaps. But as we said yeah. on the defensive, Joe kid hasn't played on a first down yet. And I don't think he should against this team who really knows how to run the football. Judging by his Cardinals tape, he had issues and he hasn't been here long. I don't know how accustomed he is to playing defense and understanding exactly where to be. McFadden didn't do a great job of it in, in week one, as we said, but McFadden also is much more physical coming downhill within the tackle box to blow up a lot of those pullers. You also made a good point on the uh, one of the last two podcasts about how, like, you know, Simmons hasn't really had a good time trying to defend George Kittle during his Cardinals days, and they played twice a year. No, yeah, so why do we expect? I mean, he may be the Giants' best option, but that doesn't feel like a great option to me. It's going to be interesting. I need to see, I mean, just going back to that side of the ball, I need to see more from Leonard Williams in this game. If I'm Leonard Williams and I look myself in the face after that game film against the Cardinals, I mean, listen to the interior offensive line the Cardinals had. Elijah Wilkinson, Hajelt Rudgeholt, and Will Hernandez. You said that well. I was impressed. I finally pronounced the name decently with Hajelt Rudgeholt. But, I mean, these are undrafted free agents, Wilkinson and Rudgeholt. And then Will Hernandez... I'm not sure if they're undrafted, but they were uh, they were UDFA signings and they were not high picks. We don't know them. And then Will Hernandez, who's an epic boss for the New York Giants. Like if you look yourself in the mirror and you watch that film and there are three reps that stand out to me. The one where Will Hernandez put Leonard Williams on the ground, the one where Will Hernandez sealed him off on a run play and that created the big run play. And then the double team that Will Leonard Williams faced where he got pushed five yards off the ball. That one specifically. Cause that one was the really, the most, the most troubling one. Like these are, yeah. these are two or three of the worst interior offensive linemen in the NFL, probably to be completely honest. I have no idea if that's true, but they're three, no name Jag interior offensive linemen. Damn. Will Hernandez was a second round pick. What are you talking about? Yeah. Will Hernandez was I draft pick. And that was obviously we, we giants fans who are listening to this podcast know very well that he wasn't a good player for the giants and hasn't been that good for the Cardinals, by the way, anyway. You got three no names driving you off the two of them driving you off the ball on a double team five yards off. I mean, that looked like the saddest play I've seen in Leonard Williams career. I'll be honest with you, Nick. Like, I don't know how you could get moved that far off the ball, no matter who's playing on the interior offensive line, like without questioning, like if you're really in it, like if your head's in it for that play, I don't know. I've never seen Dexter Lawrence ever get displaced that bad on a double team in my life. And I don't think it's even possible. Dalvin Tomlinson, never. And this is one of the highest paid players in the Giants this year. I get it. Some of it was Gettleman's fault for just pushing back the cap. But he's still, even if you don't care about the dead cap that's been like pushed back so much into his contract, you still know he's still a $20 million player, an $18 million player. That You need big production from those kind of players. So that's the thing I'm looking for in this game. If I'm the coaches and if I'm Leonard Williams, is he going to come out with his hair on fire? Are we going to see a crazy different level of effort out of him in this game? And if not, like, where are we at with this thing? Because, like, this is week three. You're a 29-year-old player that you should be playing for a contract. Like, what is going on? Because I didn't see him much in week one. And I get it. He didn't really play that much in week two, which is also really weird. Like, he played, like, 56% of the snaps. That, to me, is odd in its own right, Nick. Yeah. Um, but, and there, you know, I think uh, Bobby Skinner brought this up. Somebody pointed this out to me in my Twitter that I, I didn't see it. So I apologize if I got this wrong, Bobby. But Bobby Skinner brought up that on the goal, on the red zone touchdown, the one I discussed, the, the four-yarder to Connor, I don't think Leonard Williams or Dexter Lawrence were on the field for that play. Which just, they weren't. It's on Wink. What the hell are we doing here, Wink? Like, get those guys on the field for every single red zone play. Okay, rotation's one thing, but red zone plays, no. 
But man, like I need more from Leonard Williams game. I'm okay giving Bobby Okereke a pass right now, Nick, because he's learning a new system and there's a lot on his plate. I'm in some ways even okay giving Kayvon Thibodeau some of a pass because he's being asked to do a lot and drop and do all these things. But Leonard Williams' job is pretty straightforward, and it needs to look a lot better than it did. And that's the one that really is bothering me right now. So as I look forward to this game, Nick, I look at the 49ers' offensive line. I know it's not as bad as the Cardinals' interior offensive line was. and The names I just listed off. But Leonard Williams is supposed to be able to beat just about anyone, just like Dexter Lawrence is. That's why you pay these guys so much money, because they're supposed to be able to beat these guys in the run game and the passing game. And quite honestly, I saw one good rep from Leonard Williams the entire game last week, which is insane to say about a $20 million player who has a $33 million cap hit. Absolutely. I mean, you nailed that. There's really not much to add. Leonard Williams, I think he ended up actually calculating for three pressures when I was like, I know one, it was the Micah McFadden hit. Because that was, was the one good one. Guys. But I, I don't really think he defeated his block, if I'm not no. mistaken. It was more the... the Guard was like, oh shit, I gotta get over to Micah McFadden. And then that gave Leonard Williams an alley to get a pressure. But you're right. Okay, he's I'm thinking not, of a different play. You look at Dexter Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence hasn't gotten a sack yet, but you can see the impact he's having. He is flushing the pocket. He is if the Giants had any edge rush, there would be sack. The interior pressure is getting home because of 97, but not due to 99. 99 is is not getting any sort of interior pressure, not winning on his bull rush. And one of the things we loved most about 99 throughout his career here with the New York Giants was how good he was as a run defender. Yes, he had over yep. 10 sacks in 2020, but he we always said, but he's one of the better run defending defensive linemen. And I don't think he got the credit that he deserved. That hasn't been evident the last two games. At so all. That needs to improve. It has to improve. And you know what? San Francisco, they're excellent from a scheme perspective. Let's try to put that aside. When you look at their offensive line, Trent Williams is one of the best tackles, one of the best offensive linemen in the league. That's going to be so tough for Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh, yeah. But the other players, they're not full with talent where it's like the Eagles, where it's like Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, Cam Jurgens, if you want to throw him. You know, it, it's not like that necessarily. They're, they're a good unit because the offensive line is a unit. But if you want to just take individuals, one-on-one -on -one pass rush, Brock Purdy has a five-step drop. He's scanning the field. Leonard Williams can get past their center. Leonard Williams can beat yes. Aaron Banks if he's out there playing. You know? Right. Well, the old Leonard Williams. Right now, I question it. So that's that, that's an issue that I have. And I think um, Dexter Lawrence, though, just keep giving him one-on-one -on -one matchups, Wink. And how do you do that? Crowd the line of scrimmage. I want to see yep. an aggressive approach. I want to see some blitzing. The Giants, I think, are third in blitz rate right now. And last game, they weren't all that aggressive. It didn't seem like to me. Against Cowboys, yeah. they blitzed a lot. So I want to see pressure. Force Brock Purdy to complete those deep passes. And I also want to see Trey Hawkins the third and Deontay Banks cover Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and all of them. So the Giants get burnt on a deep explosive play for a touchdown, but it's due to the fact that Wink Martindale is trying to dictate terms to an offense that outmatches his defense. I think I'm going to be okay with that. Me too. I completely agree with you on that take. And I think it was a great take by you. And so we'll see what happens there, but we want to see that crowding of the line of scrimmage. And I, and I know part of this issue for wink, I'm sure is like, he looked at game one, the, the game film from week one, he looked at the game film from week two, Nick. And he's like, do I want to be so aggressive right now when we're making this many mental errors at the second and third level? 
And he probably felt like maybe it's better off if I if I tone it down a little. But as we saw from last week's tape, like that didn't work either. There were still so many mental errors at the second and third levels. So you might as well just try to dictate. You might as well just try to get some pressure and force the quarterback to be rattled and force the quarterback to come off his spot and to timing, maybe just change the timing up enough in a play to really screw the play up because otherwise you're going to be put in a very tough spot, I think, in this game. And I just don't know if you can do that on first and 10 and running downs as much as you'd like. I know. Because if you That's blitz, and because the Giants suck outside, they can't defend outside runs. And if you blitz your linebackers and you don't have them to scrape and flow over the top, you're absolutely screwed. And I think I saw a stat. I don't have it in front of me, so I do apologize. But this shouldn't be revolutionary stat to anybody. It shouldn't be a stat that surprises anybody. Who's the best rushing team to the outside through two games? San Francisco. It's the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco, yep. first in overall offensive EPA, first in overall rushing EPA, second in passing EPA. They've scored 30 points in each of their first two games. It's a good damn offense. So you have to get them into second and long situations and third and long situations. And how do you do that? You stop the run. What can the Giants not do? Stop the run. And that's where my concern lies. Yeah, and, and part of that is what I think a good point, just to circle back to something you brought up at some point, Nick, I believe yesterday or the day before, which is the Giants don't have what they had at some points in their past on defense as far as toughness, physicality, and tackling in some ways and aggressiveness in the slot, in the alley. And you're facing a team right now, and I heard a podcast on this once, Nick, they practice blocking the receivers practice blocking more than oh, they, yeah. they're so they go gung ho and they have some of the best blocking receivers in the NFL. Brandon Ayuk is unbelievable at blocking. If he's out, that's actually a huge factor for the giants too. Cause they can, you know, they're, they're not going to have him to block. And so I'm very worried about those outside runs. Cause that's when the receivers blocking comes into play. And the 49ers are among the best, if not the best, in the NFL at that based on how they practice it and the players they have there. So that's another issue in my opinion in this game. You're a Big Ten guy. Remember Ronnie Bell? Yeah. From Michigan. Yeah, he's on that team now. Yeah. He, I, I, I remember watching that. his film and scrappy-ass blocker, dude. I think he had a lot of injuries at Michigan, but a scrappy yep. blocker who they're going to use out there. I think the only player who they might use, who they hardly use this season, would be Ray Ray McLeod, where you can take advantage of the fact that he's not that great of a blocker. But Juwan Jennings, Brandon Ayuk, Ronnie Bell even, good blocking wide receivers. And that's not even mentioning the fact that George Kittle is their tight end. And they're going to use 21 personnel with Kyle Juszczyk, who is also a great blocker. I'm not, and we'll get into our predictions in a bit and then do prize picks. I'm not as worried about our offense who look like shit through the first six quarters of the season against a very Agreed. good defense. I am so much more worried about Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, and the rushing attack against whatever defense the Giants are attempting to employ. I completely agree, and we'll see how that goes in this game, but let's get to some predictions now, Nick. Just to recap, last year we were pretty good with predictions. This year we haven't been so great. We had both Nick and I had the Giants blowing out the Cardinals. The Giants narrowly escaped that. I guess it's considered a win for us because the Giants won the game, so you could look at it on the positive yeah. side too, but we didn't really predict the game right at all. Um, so let's get into your week three prediction for the Giants and a final score here. Logic points us to suggest that the Giants are going to get blown out. I don't think it's going to be like week one per se. I think the defense is going to be a sieve and the Giants might try to establish some sort of rhythm on offense and they're going to show some life on offense. I have the 49ers winning this game 34 to 17, but that's so much further over what the over is. 
Over under is 44, if I'm not mistaken, according to DraftKings. I just don't think the Giants defense is going to do a good job stopping. And I think the I think the Giants offense can get into some sort of rhythm, maybe create an explosive play. That's going to lead to a touchdown. Maybe 17 points is a little bit too much for the offense, but that's what I'm going to go with. Interesting. I think you're onto something that it's not going to look as bad as it did week one, because I think the Giants offense has figured out different ways to kind of combat the situation they have at the offensive line and, and you know, figure out ways to create some explosives. But I don't think it's going to look great for the offense. And I think on defense, there's I can't think of many ways the Giants defense can be good in this game based on what we saw this week on film. Like eventually this D is going to get better. They're going to get more confident in what they're doing in that system. People are going to be confident in their roles. There's going to be less communication issues. It's not going to happen right away on four days rest against a team like the 49ers. So my final prediction for this game will be 33 to 10 49ers. Uh, 23 point win, unfortunately, against the Giants here. Uh, you know cover the spread you have them covering the spread too look guys it's anything that happened it's the nfl i hope me, nick and i are wrong about this you just never know like giants could get very lucky with a punt return fumble early by the 49ers and things of that nature but matchup wise this one doesn't feel that great let's get to some prize picks now nick and let's figure out ah, what we like prize picks let's jump right in here dan my, so you let me know. this week this week for prize picks we have to have three entries. I'm only going to do the Thursday night football game. Have to have a player on each side. Remember, go to prizepicks.com slash banter. Use that and prize picks will match up to $100 of a deposit that you put in to your account. It's a lot of fun doing this. I have Christian McCaffrey more than 79 and a half rushing yards. 79 and a half is a lot. Christian McCaffrey is going to achieve this. I do, however, believe we're going to see a little bit of Elijah Mitchell at some points in this game because Christian McCaffrey, every running back carry in the in the game against the Rams on week two, Debo Samuel also had like five carries. A lot of those were end arounds. Expect Debo Samuel to be mixed into the rushing attack against the Giants. But I do have Christian McCaffrey more than 79 and a half. I have Darren Waller more than four receptions. I'm not as confident about that, but I do think some of it's going to come in garbage time situation. I think there's going to be a lot of quick passes to Darren Waller. So maybe he can get to five, six, not as confident. If you want to maybe not use the, uh, maybe if you want to use the, uh, what is it called? The flex play. I think it's called, where you only have to yeah. hit two out of three. You can go with that. I have Fred Warner more than 0.5 tackles for a loss. That's a little risky, but I can see that happening without Saquon Barkley there. And if he blitzes, if the giants try to go horizontal, Fred Warner is one of the best. So all he needs is one tackle for a loss and you hit with that one. So those are my three. I like those picks, Nick. I am going a little bit of a different direction than you, but similar. And just to recap from last week's prize picks, it was close to nailing it, Nick. I decided to not go with the flex play because I'm not a flex play kind of guy. And I think the odds are I'd rather go for the five times odds. If I had gone flex play, Nick, I would have cashed in and won my prize picks. I had Barkley for a touchdown more than a half. That one was the most easy one you can hit. And, I, and I'm easy cash there. I had Daniel Jones more passing yards. That was another easy hit. <laughs> easy hit. But, but... I had Josh Jobs less than passing yards, and boy, oh boy, did that one not work out. The Giants somehow found a way to give up like 127 yards pass or 227 yards passing to Josh Dobbs. Um, and by the way, breaking news, Nick, Saquon Barkley was just ruled out for the game. We obviously, for those listening now, you heard us, you know, question it earlier, though we knew he would be out, but now it's official, according to Adam Schefter. Saquon Barkley is ruled out for Thursday night football. Um just to keep, just to you know, keep things consistent here. And then, so this week, as far as my prize picks go, excuse me, 
I refuse to give into the flex play. I will not be doing flex play again. I will never do flex play. I don't care that flex play won last. <laughs> I am not a flex play kind of guy. I want the five times odds, and that's just how it goes. If I get two correct, I get 1.25. If I get three correct, I get 5x. That just feels like a much better play for me. So this week, Nick, I am going with I am going Christian McCaffrey more than 79 and a half rushing yards. Unfortunately, Nick, I think he might get like 60 to 70% of them on one run. I feel a bit rough. <laughs> this game sucks. It sucks to say, but just like I you know, watch honor with a wide open hole for 22 and you're like, what the hell is the 49ers run game going to do with McCaffrey and that blocking? And so yikes on that one. I'm also going to go with Daniel Jones another more than 213 and a half passing yards back to back more than weeks for Daniel Jones in the passing yard game. And then Darren Waller more than 45 and a half. But Nick, my caveat to this is I think about 70% of production for 75% of that production for Waller will come in garbage time or in the second half. And like 70% for Jones will also come in garbage time. So it is what it is when you're making these picks, you don't care about garbage time. Garbage time is part of the process. So that's my play this week, more than passing yards for Jones, more than passing yards for Waller, more than rushing yards for McCaffrey. Let's do this thing. Let's win a prize pick and let's hope the giants luck into this win prizepicks.com slash banter. One of Darren Waller's touchdowns last year came against San Francisco 49ers. Okay. Hufanga bit off a of play action. Waller ran right in. That was like a 20-yard touchdown pass. Almost gets more than what you just had at, what was that, 45? Yes. 45 and to and recap, I also have Darren Waller more than four receptions. Christian McCaffrey more than 79 and a half rushing yards. And Fred Warner more than... 0.5 tackles for a loss. So all he needs is one tackle for a loss. Prizepicks.com slash banter, ladies and gentlemen. And there you have it. Thanks to everyone for tuning in, subscribing, and liking to all the podcasts. We know there was an issue with iTunes a little bit earlier today, but I think that's been resolved as far as what people have reached out to me. But if you're still having an issue finding the podcast, just reach out to Nick or myself, and we will get that handled or try our best to get that handled. Otherwise, have a great rest of your day. We've got a few more hours until this game. We'll be back with you live after the game. Have a good night and talk to you soon. And, and let's do a little Go Giants. Dennis. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.